Chapter 42 of The House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefano. Chapter 42 in which Dr. Stirk tries this way and that for a reprieve on the eve of execution. So time crept on, and the day arrived when Stirk must pay his rent or take the ugly consequences. The day before, he spent in Dublin financiering. It was galling and barren work. He had to ask favors of fellows whom he hated, and to stand their refusals, and pretend to believe their lying excuses, and to appear to make quite light of it, though every failure stunned him like a blow of a bludgeon as he strutted jauntily off with a bilious smirk. He was well nigh at his wit's end. It was dark as he rode out by the low road to chapel, is it, crestfallen, beaten, scowling in the darkness through his horse's ears along the straight black line of road, and wishing, as he passed the famous dog-house, that he might be stopped and plundered, and thus furnished with a decent excuse for his penniless condition, and a plea in which all the world would sympathize for a short indulgence, and faith he did not care if they sent a bullet through his harassed brain. But the highwaymen, like the bankers, seemed to know by instinct that he had not a guinea, and declined to give him even the miserable help he coveted. When he got home, he sent down for Clough to the Phoenix, and got him to take Nutter, who was there also aside, and ask him for a little time, or to take part of the rent, though the latter would not have helped him much, for he could not make out ten pounds just then, were to save his life. But Nutter only said, The rent's not mine. I can't give it, or lose it, and Stirk's not safe. Will you lend it? I can't. This brought Clough to reason. He had opened the business, like a jolly companion, in a generous, full-blooded way. Well, by Jove, Nutter, I can't blame you, for, you see, between ourselves, I'm afraid tis as you say. We of the Royal Irish have done under the rose, you know, all we can, and I'm sorry the poor devil has run himself into a scrape, but hang it, we must have a conscience and if you think there's a risk of losing it, why, I don't see that I can press you. The reader must not suppose, when Clough said, we of the royal Irish, in connection with some pecuniary kindness shown to Stirk, that that sensible captain had given away any of his money to the surgeon. But Stirk, in their confidential conference, had hinted something about a helping hand, which Clough coughed off and mentioned that Puddock had lent him fifteen pounds the week before. And so he had, though little Puddock was one of the poorest officers in the corps. But he had no vices, and husbanded his little means carefully, and was very kindly and off-hand in assisting to the extent of his little purse, a brother in distress, and never entered advice when so doing for he had high notions of politeness, or in all his life divulged any of these little money transactions. Stirk stood at his drawing-room window with his hat on, looking towards the phoenix, 
and waiting for Klopp's return. When he could stand the suspense no longer, he went down and waited at his doorsteps. The longer Clough stayed, the more did Stirk establish himself in the conviction that the interview had prospered, and that his ambassador was coming to terms with Nutter. He did not know that the entire question had been settled in a minute and a half, and that Clough was at that moment rattling away at backgammon with his arch-enemy, Tool, in a corner of the club parlour. It was not till Clough, as he emerged from the phoenix, saw Stirk's figure stalking in the glimpses of the moon under the village elm that he suddenly recollected and marched up to him. Stirk stood with his face and figure mottled over with the shadows of the moving leaves and the withered ones dropping about him, his hands in his pockets and a crown piece. I believe it was his last available coin just then, shut up fast and tight in his cold fingers, with his heart in his mouth and whistling a little to show his unconcern. Well, said Stirk, he won't, of course. Clough shook his head. Very good. I'll manage it another way, said Stirk, confidently. Good night. And Stirk walked off briskly towards the turnpike. He might have said thank you, I think, Clough said, looking after him with a haughty leer, mixing myself up in his plaguy affairs and asking favors of fellows like Nutter. But just then, having reached the corner next the Phoenix, Stirk hesitated, and Clough, thinking he might possibly turn back and ask him for money, turned on his heel and, like a prudent fellow, trudged rapidly off to his lodgings. Toole and O'Flaherty were standing in the doorway of the Phoenix, observing the brief and secret meeting under the elm. "'That's Stirk,' said Toole. O'Flaherty grunted acquiescence. Toole watched attentively till the gentlemen separated, and then glancing on O'Flaherty from the corner of his eye, with a knowing smile, tipped him the wink as the phrase went in those days. "'An affair of honor," said O'Flaherty, squaring himself. He smelled powder in everything. "'More like an affair of dishonor,' said Toole, buttoning his coat. He was kiting all over town. Nutter can distrain from his rent tomorrow, and Clough called him outside the bar to speak with him. Put that and that together, sir. And home went Toole. Stirk, indeed, had no plan, and was just then incapable of forming any. He changed his route, not knowing why, and posted over the bridge, and a good way along the Inchicore Road, and then turned about and strode back again, and over the bridge, without stopping, and on towards Dublin, and suddenly the moon shone out, and he recollected how late it was growing, and so turned about and walked homeward. As he passed by the row of houses, looking across the road towards the river, from Mr. Iron's hall doorstep, a well-known voice accosted him. A sweet night, doctor. The moon tho silver bright, the air tho soft. It was little Puddick, whose hand and face were raised toward the sweet region of the sky. Mighty fine night, said Stirk, as he paused for a second. It was Puddick's way to be more than commonly friendly and polite with any man who owed him money, and Stirk, who thought perhaps rightly, 
that the world of late had been looking cold and black upon him felt in a sort of way thankful for the greeting and its cordial tone a night like this pursued the little lieutenant my dear sir brings us under the marble balconies of the palace of the capulets and sets us repeating on such a night sat dido on the wild sea-banks you remember and with a willow wand waved her love back to carthage or places us upon the haunted platform where buried denmark revisits the glimpses of the moon my dear doctor tis wonderful isn't it how much of our enjoyment of nature we owe to shakespeare twould be a changed world with us doctor if shakespeare had not written then there was a little pause stirk standing still god be we lieutenant said he suddenly taking his hand if there were more men like you there would be fewer broken hearts in the world and away went stirk End of chapter 42 Recording by John Brandon